Welcome into the EMA Online Post Game Podcast as Alec and I get set, ready to go through, recap everything that took place over the weekend with K-State and Tulane. It was not pretty if uh, I guess you didn't see the outcome uh, or anything that happened or weren't sure how we got there. There's really not a lot to talk about in this game because not a lot happened. It was a lot of teams going back and forth between punts and everything else until K-State got to the point where they felt like, all right, next time we're going to convert on third or fourth down. No, this time we're going to do it. This time we're going to do it. And uh, the answer to that would be they really never did it. They were three of 20 on their third and fourth down conversions put together yesterday. It wasn't a pretty sight. And there are more questions than ever with the offense after yesterday's game where they lose 17 to 10 to Tulane, who is a fine team. They are typically scrappy enough and are going to be probably around 500 but that is never a game that K-State should lose at home, especially given the way that their defense has played this year and the fact that you have superior talent, you would assume, offensively. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into it and figure some things out. Let's start with the positives first, though. Let's not just immediately go in on the Cats. The defense played great again. Daniel Green, the last two games, has now come away with an interception. He also then forced the interception that ended up in Kobe Savage's hands yesterday when K-State really needed it. It was 10-10, and Tulane was driving down the field. It looked like they were going to be able to score again and take the lead, and Green is able to get in on the pass, deflect it. Savage comes down with it, and that felt like at that point, I thought once that happened, okay, K-State's going to pull this thing out. That's that play that turns it around. Ultimately, it didn't work out that way. Uh, But what are your thoughts on the defense yesterday before we dive into the anemic offense? Yeah, the defense certainly has no reasons to have concern about it. Much opposite to the offense, which I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about here. But I've been really impressed with what Kobe Savage has done. I feel like we've had this conversation now after all three games here, Mason, with what Kobe Savage has done for this K-State defense. Obviously, seven tackles yesterday. He's got two interceptions now on the season, I believe. He's been really impressive. And then you did a really good job of explaining the success and the impact that Daniel Green had at linebacker. And he's obviously a big leader of this team, team captain, um, leader of that defense for sure. And his impact has been huge. Yesterday, he has four tackles, um, three of which are solo tackles. And then, like you said, that tackle for loss or half tackle for loss. But then he also has an interception now in back-to-back weeks. So Daniel Green's play at linebacker is definitely something that's been very impressive. But next to Austin Moore, who's now got back-to-back weeks, I think, leading the team in tackles. He has eight total tackles yesterday, two tackles for loss. He's been really, really impressive at linebacker for K-State as well. And we know how impactful the defensive line has been for much of the year, too. Well, and Austin Moore ends up being uh, the guy that led the defense in snaps yesterday. He he saw the most reps on the field for the Cats, uh, which is an impressive number. He and Echo Boydo, as well as Julius Brents, were both over 60 uh, in the amount of snaps that they saw in the game. The other interesting part of yesterday for the defense was they didn't, I, I guess, get to the quarterback as many times as you would have liked. But it did feel like early on they were able to maybe get a little bit of a push, speed Michael Pratt up, and a couple of the mistakes that he made weren't the best yesterday. So the defensive line still doing enough to kind of register. I would say that's one area, though, that I would like to maybe see them finish off plays a little bit more, and that's been something that's been uh, a criticism of this K-State defense at various times over the past few years is it always seems like they're a half second away from getting that sack What they need is to actually go through and finish the play. So we'll see if they're ever able to get to that point and do that. Um, But but are there any other significant takeaways from the the defense yesterday who, for the most part, I mean, played about as well as you could in a game where the offense wasn't giving you anything? Yeah, I like what you said there about the defense maybe allowing um, Pratt to scramble around. I mean, he was Tulane's leading rusher yesterday with 18 or 87 yards. And I feel like a lot of those kind of came on undesigned scrambles where the pocket collapses he kind of steps up and then decides to scramble around for seven eight ten yards whatever it was those are tough on defenses right especially in passing patterns because your defensive backs and your linebackers tend to be a little bit farther down the field and once you get past your defensive linemen who are trying to bring you down in the pocket right like you've tend to got some yards to run but there were certainly some other opportunities there where they just lost contain on the outside with pratt running and that's going to happen a couple times, right? Like quarterbacks tend to be pretty good athletes, especially in today's day and age, but that's tough. And that's one of those situations where if you're the K-State defense, you just have to do a better job of maintaining contain, setting an edge and not letting 
a rusher beat you to the corner and allowing that guy to turn the edge and pick up, you know, three, four more yards after that. Yeah. And I, I you know, I think a lot of credit uh, should be given to Joe Klanderman, the defensive coordinator for, for K state. He took over after one year of Scotty Hazleton. And there were a lot of people that were concerned about losing Scotty Hazleton to Michigan state, but Joe Klanderman over, you know, 2020 is a tough year for it to be your first as a defensive coordinator at the big 12 level. Uh, because there are so many things going on, and K-State dealt with COVID uh, about as bad as anybody in the country. They just were able to keep going out and playing despite it. But over the last two years, I think we've started to see some steps in the right direction, and this year, obviously, they've been great. Uh, Daniel Green stood out yesterday, but other guys were still flying around and making plays and just making sure that Tulane was held up from making the significant play or whatever it may be. Ultimately, what did them in was just too many short fields that they had to, had to deal with. And you have to start taking a few more risks. You know, when Tulane starts with the ball at midfield, they're going to be in field goal range rather quickly. And a field goal yesterday was ultimately all they were going to need when it was 10-10. So you got to try and do something to generate the juice and, and get a takeaway. And I, I thought it was very similar. You know, we're sitting here on a Sunday. I was watching uh, – Kurt Warner. Uh, I'm sure he was very proud yesterday. Cade Warner caught his first touchdown pass of his career. But he and, and the guys on NFL Network were talking about the Cowboys situation right now without Dak Prescott and how the offense, like they don't have a lot going for them offensively in Dallas right now. And so it's one of those deals where you have to walk in and tell a defense like, hey, it's on you guys. Like do what you can for us, make plays. And as long as you do that, we can do enough to get the win. And it felt like that's the position that the K-State defense was in yesterday, which I get that theory, but I have always felt like defensively, if you're working your tail off and busting your butt and the offense isn't doing anything, it gets really tough to continuously go out there and try and make plays. Yeah, I feel like that's something that we maybe didn't talk about enough privately between the two of us yesterday after the game was, and I tried to get Daniel Green to kind of speak on it a little bit, and you know how the players are post-game, right? When it's one side of the ball does more than enough to win and the other side of the ball mm -hmm. is not necessarily responsible, but didn't maybe hold up their end of the bargain to pull out a win. And he's not going to straight up blame the offense. Like that's not what players are going to do post game. But I tried to get him to just kind of explain how difficult it is to defend a short field time and time again, which the K-State defense had to do because of going to combine three for 20 on third and fourth down yesterday or on Saturday. And he kind of said, yeah, it's tough, but ultimately like we have to find a way to get off the field, whether that's getting a turnover, whether that's forcing a punt or, you know, three and outs. Mm -hmm. And they really did a good job of it, except at the end of the game when there's five minutes left and Tulane takes over about midfield and they march down the field and they get a game winning touchdown with about four minutes and change left. And even at that point, like if you're Kansas state and you're, looking at the clock and you're down seven and there's four minutes left. You're thinking, all right, like we got a chance here. Like eventually and they had all their timeouts. Yeah. You're looking at that situation. You're thinking, all right, we've got a good chance here. We're going to break through. And they just did it. And I think now is a good time to just kind of dive into that decision to call a shovel pass on third and nine. And I know coach Kleiman said after the game that, you're trying to sequence, right? Like that's what you're trying to do when you get, when you don't have a successful first down play and you don't have a successful second down play and you're looking at third and eight, third and nine, third and 10, you're trying to set yourself up to make it a fourth and manageable. And that's what they're trying to do in that situation. But a shovel pass, how many times have you seen a shovel pass lead to a gain of more than five yards? Uh, very rarely. It, it typically takes something to be there. And the problem is, it had already not worked in the game. Like when you Correct. can go on it and look and see that in a short yardage situation, like I, I don't have a problem with the first one that was attempted when K-State was, you know, close to the goal line. Maybe you thought you, you saw something on film. You could sneak something past them, whatever. But it didn't work. Tulane was ready for it. And certainly on third and nine, that's not what I'm doing. And, and when you have the knowledge, too, of what yesterday looked like throwing the ball – I want as many chances as I can get to make a play and make a throw because that's what you're going to have to do there as opposed to trying to get cute and sneak something by them. So in that respect, I agree with you. Like, I don't know that it made a ton of sense there. Now, given 
we fall on opposite sides of the coin here because you think that yesterday coming out of it, more blame should fall on Colin Klein. I think more of it should probably be on Adrian Martinez. And I've been a, I've been a Martinez defender. I think he's a great guy. I think he's really talented still, but I think there's, there's a little bit of a block there. And so it comes down to, and we've discussed this is, is Colin Klein not calling the right plays because he knows that Adrian Martinez can't get over that hurdle or are these plays not working because Adrian Martinez is, you know, so limited or whatever else it might be. And Colin Klein knows like how this is going to go down. So I think that there are a couple of things here where we can question it and figure out what went wrong. There's no doubt that both of them probably should have been better yesterday, but I think it's, it's about getting to the root of who maybe deserves more blame and blame and what else went wrong. Then in addition to that, like, the offensive line struggled a little bit yesterday, too. And that's another one of those deals where you probably shouldn't get beat around as much by Tulane if you're a Big 12 offensive line as K-State did yesterday. And so that's that's another concerning thing. But to give those guys some help and some benefit of doubt there, they knew that Deuce Vaughn was going to touch the ball left and right, and K-State's best plan of attack was to run. So they were going to throw a ton of guys in the box and try and stack up against that. Well, and they did a really good job. Well, and that's why, how many times, I mean, yesterday, Kansas State goes like a combined three for 20 on third and fourth down, right? And I think they're two of 15 on the day on third down. And I feel like a lot of those were third and two, third and three. And I feel like they never got creative and went to a play action pass where Tulane stacking the box. They're selling out on the run with Deuce Vaughn. They're selling out on an option or they're selling out on DJ Giddens in the third quarter when he's in there getting a few opportunities because Deuce is in the locker room dealing with cramps, right? And I'm a big proponent of play action pass in those situations because especially against college defenses, right? They tend to be younger. You just want to mess with guys' eyes on defense. And that's what you want to do if you're, you know, Kansas State and you're playing against the Tulane. You're playing against Oklahoma next week. Like you want to mess with the quarterback's eyes and confuse them. But it's the same thing on the opposite side of the spectrum when you're, the offense you want to see if you can get guys to bite on a hand up fake handoff to a tailback and especially when you have one as good as deuce vaughn and i feel like they never went to play action pass they never went to a screen pass on those third and shorts those fourth and shorts and i get it you have deuce vaughn you have an all-american tailback you feel like you should be able to get one or two three yards in those situations you've got a bigger probably more talented offensive line in the end of the day but when you've tried the same thing over and over and over and over again, and you continue to run into the same wall over and over and over and over again, change something, do something different, use some sort of different scheme. And Colin Klein didn't do that. He just kept doing the same thing. And I think that is where like my frustration, if I was a Kansas state fan, if I was in that locker room would come from is that we're trying to do the same scheme over again and it's not working. And yeah, it's great to continue to believe in your guys. That's awesome. But you also need to realize that if something's not working, change, make an alteration and use some sort of different scheme. And they didn't really do that at all yesterday. And I think that that probably has something to do with the struggles that they had on third and fourth down, because when you can sell it on the run, it's pretty easy to sell out on a run up the middle when you stack the box and you've got eight guys in the box ready to bring down a rusher and Five guys blocking. Well, and in in the element of fairness, as somebody who was very critical and very harsh of Courtney Messingham, the last offensive coordinator at K-State, I I look at this as, uh, and I explained this to you yesterday, because even though I think that a lot of this ties into whatever it is that Adrian Martinez has to get over right now, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later, there is an element, too, where even if you don't think that you have the guys to do something, which in this case, it's it's not like it's an exotic thing that you're trying to get these guys to do. It's it's pretty simple. Like, we're just asking for the ball to be thrown more than five yards down the field. And we're asking, like, in, in your case, maybe a little bit more play action than trying to get cute or, or get Deuce Vaughn or DJ Giddens to sneak through the line there when that's really going to be a tall task. It's it's like I said when Will Howard had to play quarterback at times where even if he's young and limited in some areas, I would still be trying to make these plays because at the end of the day, there's no point in not making the play because you're not trying to or not making the play because you can't. I would rather you not be able to make a play because you can't as opposed to not trying to do it even if you don't think 
you're going to be able to. And so maybe there's an element of that in everything. Um, I'd also compare it. I mean, Royals baseball has been horrible uh, over the last six years now. And one of my biggest frustrations, specifically when Ned Yost was coaching the team, was you could go around and, and look and watch games. And why are you bringing in the guy with a 6.75 ERA to close out the game for you? That makes zero sense. The, the 35-year-old, 15-year veteran that sucks now should not be closing out games for you. I don't, I don't care if there's a guy that's you know not been very good, but he's young and he's a part of your future. Throw him out there. Give him that chance. Try and do something. Try to make it happen. And I, I feel like that is one of those spots that K-State is in it on right now where they, they just didn't try to make it happen. And, and I, I'm scared that it's because they just felt like ah, we're not, we don't have the guys to do it right now. That's not a good enough reason to me. And I think that they're going to have to find some way to get over it, which in one respect, I actually think might be a good thing for them facing Oklahoma because I think that they're, they're going to be playing from behind. There seems to be little doubt about that. And so with that, you're probably going to be in a situation where you're going to have no choice but to throw the ball more. You're going to have no choice but to take some chances. And I think it's going to be good for Adrian Martinez to get in a situation where he can take some of those chances and it doesn't come back in his face and blow up and he feels like he's doing something to lose the team the game because I think he's just trying to not make a mistake right now and you really cannot play quarterback that way where you can be smart and you can you know shy away from some bad decisions, but – don't go back and overthink the position so much. And I think that's the point that he's in right now. And I think that comes from years of getting bashed by the Nebraska football machine, whether that's Scott Frost, who I don't believe was probably all that good to Adrian Martinez. And I think that comes from the fan base. I think that comes from the media that wanted Scott Frost to be the savior of Nebraska football. So let's just blame it on the quarterback who has problems. Like I think there are a lot of things that beat Adrian Martinez down, and even though he's got a fresh start this year and I think he's got a positive outlook, there's still something in the back of his head that when he goes back to throw, he's not ready to pull the trigger downfield. He waits a second too long, and by that point, it's gone. The play is not there. Or when even on the short throws, he's you know trying to guide the ball there. I think he's just got to let it rip, and I don't know, that, I don't know how you're going to be able to fix that right now, and that's the scary thing. Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of what you said there about Adrian Martinez and his struggles against Tulane. But in my opinion, like, those struggles, Mason, they extend further than just the Tulane game. I mean, after the South Dakota game, we go into that press conference and they're talking about, well, we didn't really need to throw the ball downfield and we didn't really need to throw the ball because we had a big lead. And that makes sense, right? Like, that's true. And then after the Mizzou game, it's it was raining and the ball was heavy and it's slick and that's not great for throwing the ball. All right, that's true. But in the back of my head, and I think in the back of your head, you're kind of looking at this like, yeah, but you kind of got to throw the ball at some mm -hmm. point. And they never did. And I think we kind of saw why they never did against Tulane because it's not very good right now. And at some point, you need to find a way to put your players in a position to be successful and complete passes and find a way to move the ball through the air and to do that, and this is what I said on the two-minute drill yesterday, you need to hit on quick hitters. Hit on screen passes. Hit on slants. Hit on short out routes. Hit on short curls that get you three, four, five yards of play. And when you start hitting those, Martin, excuse me, Martinez's confidence should start to rise a little bit, and he should start to be able to hit Cade Warner more. He should start to see Malik Knowles open more. See Phillip Brooks open a little bit more. But at the same time, if you're going to continue to try and guide the ball to receivers, he overthrew Phillip Brooks pretty early in the game, I believe, on their first drive pretty poorly. Later in that same first quarter, overthrows Brooks by a little bit. I think that ball actually went through Brooks's hands a little bit too, so we can throw blame on each of them there for not completing that pass. But it's the same situation. Like You need to be able to put your players in a position to be successful, especially in the passing game at this point, to – move the ball through the air because clearly you're not being able to do it downfield. And I know Adrian Martinez missed guys that were open downfield down the seam on a couple different opportunities yesterday or missed a guy in the end zone on one situation that happens. And you need to find a way to, because clearly he's not confident enough in my opinion to make the throw downfield at this point, despite what he's saying publicly. 
He's clearly not feeling confident enough to throw the ball downfield for whatever reason. But at the same point, build the confidence by hitting on short passes. So you can get to a point where you're hitting on intermediate passes, where you can hit on deep shots. Because we know he can do it. We saw him do it when he was at Nebraska for four years. We saw him drop that ball in the bucket yesterday to Cade Warner in the end zone. That was a beautiful touchdown pass and catch, I might add, Mm -hmm. by Cade Warner, his first career touchdown reception. But you see those, and you know there's something there that you can work with. I mean, we're talking about a really talented quarterback. We're talking about someone who is a former top 200 prospect, four-star prospect coming out of high school. We know he has that talent to make those throws on a consistent basis. Now he just got to go do it, and it comes down to Kansas State and Specifically, in my opinion, Colin Klein put him in a situation to make those plays on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I, I'm and somebody asked, you know, how, how do you get to this point? And, and is this something that has to only be worked out in a game? And I, I do think that you can only work this out in a game. I, I don't think practice is going to help solve this problem right now. I think it has to be when the bullets are flying and you're in a situation where the throws matter, the scoreboard matters, everything matters, because if not, like it, it, it's easy to go out and just kind of screw around and, and whatever when it's practice, like throw a ball, whatever. Okay. There's no real outcome to any of it, but you need to be able to do it in the game. And so I think like you, Colin Klein, it's going to be on him to go out and probably challenge Adrian Martinez and just say, Hey, you got to take some shots down the field. And I, I, you know, we don't really care about what the result of them is at this point. Like try to make the throw. If you see it, try to make the play because I, one more times than not, I, I think Adrian Martinez would maybe be surprised. His talent will take over, and in this situation, I, I think he's he's having to learn to trust his offensive line a little bit more. Even you know, with some of the struggles that they've had, whether it be penalties or yesterday, um, maybe a couple times where you look at it and say they they struggled. The offensive line is still giving him more time than what he had when he was at Nebraska. And I think that's another just thing that he's having to learn to, to kind of get over and figure out when it comes down to it. But I really think that's where it's going to come down to. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the throw to Cade Warner yesterday because, I mean, that's a perfect example right there of the talent that Adrian Martinez has and why people were excited and thought that he would get a nice clean start at K-State because he didn't have time to think on that play yesterday. He just made the play. He stood in there. He was – this close, I mean, very, very close to getting sacked on the play and instead just decides not thinking because in that type of moment, you don't have time to think. You just got to deliver. Didn't think, delivered a beautiful ball to Cade Warner who hung on to it and K-State was able to score the touchdown there. And I I think that's one of those things that you're probably going to have to lean on a a little bit more moving forward. You need more things like that to happen because when, when you just don't think, things start to go a little bit better. Like that's one of those things that can be really tough uh, on certain guys. So we'll see how it goes for him moving forward. I don't know um, the best way to, to, to unlock that mental hurdle. I know that Chris Kleiman and Colin Klein have experience with it. I mean, they they had to kind of rehabilitate Skylar Thompson mentally, it would seem. He, he came when, when they got here. Skylar had been beaten down by being this, you know, part-time quarterback with Alex Delton. It was a mess. Didn't really make sense why Skyler wasn't getting as many chances or, or more chances than Delton. And Skyler finally got things worked out and turned into an NFL drafted quarterback under these guys. I think it's a little easier, though, with Skyler because the problems he had was more so he just didn't have a coach that believed in him. Adrian Martinez needs a little bit more help on the, the mental side of the game yeah. and having coaches that believe in him, he's got to learn to believe in himself. Well, and that's got to be the scariest thing. If you're Kansas state is, is he mentally broken? Did he read all of the things that people you and I wrote, the things that people spoke about on platforms like this during his time at Nebraska and his time coming to Kansas state where publicists and journalists and everyone's saying, his ceiling's really high as long as he doesn't turn the ball over. This Kansas State offense can be really good as long as he doesn't turn the ball over. He's got an All-American back. He's got some talented receivers with Malik Knowles. He's got an experienced offensive line with a future NFL draft pick. And BB, you know, you read all that and you're thinking, all right, well, as long as I don't turn the ball over, this is going to work. It's not how football works. Mm-mm. Especially in 2022, you can't be conservative and expect things to always fall in your favor in 2022. I mean, how many times do we see teams lose now 
because they kick field goals or they settle for field goals when they're in the red zone. They decide not to go for it on fourth and one. And I'll give Coach Kleiman credit for this yesterday. He continued to go for it on fourth and one. And a lot of times, I shouldn't say a lot of times, it paid off a few times where they extended drives. I mean, they went for it once inside their own 30 or 35-yard line and ended up paying off, and they ended up getting down into two-lane territory. And that's another thing that, going back to the defense real quick, they deserve a ton of credit on because really it's how well the K-State defense has played that yeah, allows Chris Kleiman to be aggressive like that. And and that is something that, I mean, he, he has shown at times to, to kind of flip that switch and be like, all right, let's do this thing. But and never like this before. And that's that's really on this K-State defense that right now is trending towards being the best that, that Chris Kleiman has had since he's been at K-State. And let's call a spade a spade. And I'm not trying to throw any disrespect towards Tulane because they obviously came in into Manhattan and upset Kansas State. But if Kansas State's in a similar situation to that next week against Oklahoma, I got a hard time believing that Chris Kleiman's going to decide, you know what? I'm on my own 33-yard line. It's fourth and fourth and two, fourth and one. Yeah, let's go for it. I got a hard time believing he's going to do that when Dylan Gabriel is in a Jeff Levy offense with an offense that likes to score really fast. Like I think part of it has to do with the fact that you're playing Tulane and you feel confident that your defense is more able to get off the field against a team like Tulane than it would be Oklahoma. But that's what the situation was. So give Chris Kleiman credit for going for it and giving Kansas State an opportunity to win the game by going for it um, in certain situations. And I honestly didn't really have a problem with him punting it late in the game and trying to get the ball back. He explained, explained it the way my head worked after the game, where you punt it, you get a three and out, call timeout to get the ball back with about a minute and a half, minute and 40 seconds left, and you're at about midfield, you're out at your own 40-yard line, got an opportunity to go down the field and score. I thought that I didn't have a problem with that mindset because what's the point of going for it on fourth and 10 from, you know, fourth and 11 from yeah. midfield? You get off the field in three downs and you're going to have to go 90 well, yards. And the defense, and again, that's another one. The defense had been great. There there really wasn't much of a reason for Chris Kleiman not to believe in them. And at, at the end of the day, like – they, they almost held up. Like, they got to a fourth down situation. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out because it was that close and they were able to, to sneak it past and everything. And those are those are just kind of a, a coin toss anyways on if you're going to be able to get through. So I don't I don't fault him for, for not punting or for punting there. I think that actually made sense in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I also, like, philosophically, like everybody differs in the sport – I, I don't think you're an idiot if you say that Chris Kleiman was wrong for not going for it there. Like, I think this is a a both sides can be right. But given the situation, I, I tend to side uh, with Chris Kleiman and how things ended up going down yesterday. So we'll see how it ends up going and what what things look like uh, in Norman next week. I think it's going to be fascinating on Tuesday uh, after the dust has settled a little bit to kind of hear a little bit more from from some of these players and where the mind is at and kind of where. They think things are headed uh, for the the game against Oklahoma, where they've they've bounced back from this before. Like they have, twenty twenty, they lose to Arkansas State at home to start the season. Things do not look good at all, and then all of a sudden there they are in Norman, down double digits in the second half, and they come back to beat them. Um, we'll see. The difference is Spencer Rattler is not playing quarterback now, so uh, I think you have a little bit more of a stable quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. Uh, but I, I think that the whole season is still in front of them. Really, is, yeah. if they can unlock this passing game, and it doesn't—it doesn't even have to be perfect. But if you can just like you be know, middle hurdle, of the pack in the Big Twelve, you know, to, to go with my my hurdle analogy, since we, I, I use the term mental hurdle for Adrian Martinez, um, you know how like hurdlers, you don't really have to jump over the hurdle. You can kind of just knock it over or run through it. Like, if you trip over it, you don't get docked anything other than you just got to try and catch up to everybody else. That's what K-State's passing game needs to be like. They don't have to jump over the hurdle. They can run through it. They can trip over it, whatever it may be. Just get up and keep running and try and get over the next one. They don't need to be a top two, three passing attack in the Big 12. And they're certainly not going to be when you're competing against an Oklahoma offense with Gabriel that we've dove into briefly here. You're not going to out-throw Texas Tech. I mean, they're running a complete air raid offense. You're not going to outthrow them. You're certainly not more talented than what Texas is going to be with Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers with Xavier Worthy, a wide receiver. But if you can be 
the sixth, seventh best offense, passing offense in the Big 12, is that good enough? Because you should have a top should be. two, three rushing offense in the Big 12 behind probably Texas, considering they have B. John Robinson, who is a top two, three tailback in the entire country. I feel like most people would argue. Um, you know, if you have a, the third best rushing offense in the Big 12 and the seventh best passing offense in the Big 12, that averages out to about the fourth, fifth best offense in the Big 12. I think you would take that. Well, and then right now, I mean, where where would you grade them out defensively in the conference? Because I think it's, I mean, I, they're not going to be number one. There's too much talent in this league. But there's reason to think that they can be Top the third three. or fourth best defense in the league. And if you pair that together in the Big 12, you're in really good shape. Like, you know, the season's not over. Like, there's certainly been discussion here that the season's over. And what we've seen across the state, I think, is maybe influencing some of those opinions. Well, it's but, certainly it's certainly frustrating for K-State fans. Yes. Have KU with a better record as we stand right now. And not just a better record, right? But undefeated in Big 12 play, I obviously just want to know. But you pound a good Houston team yesterday. And, well, and, and Houston's, Houston's what was talent supposed is to, be, to me. What was yeah. supposed to be a good Houston team. Yeah, what I don't was know supposed if, to be the premier group of five team entering the season. Yeah. So we can call, call it that. I mean, either way, they pounded them. They won by mm-hmm. two touchdowns. Yeah. No, they deserve a lot of credit points. Um that I think all kind of compounds into this feeling in Manhattan and around Kansas state that the season's over. The season's not over because they lost to Tulane. If they go down to Norman next week and get routed 55 to three, then you can maybe like, yeah, this isn't going well. What, what needs to be fixed here to turn this around. And the reason the season's not over is because one Tulane isn't bad. Tulane plays in the American, like that's a team that K-State should beat. But if you're looking from a pure talent perspective, and I'm going to cite a competitor here, 24-7 Sports, obviously a huge competitor of us. Um, Their team talent composite rankings, I sent this to you last night, and I believe I sent it to Gabe as well. It ranks the total team talent on a roster, and it's an updating formula. Um, that they use and it's better than your four-year recruiting average because that doesn't factor in transfers so this values transfers and all of those things that enter and leave the program as well as the players currently on your roster it's essentially a talent evaluation of everyone in your roster kansas state ranks 70th in the country you know who ranks 74th Tulane. the gap there in terms of pure talent isn't huge um so that's part of the reason why yesterday two maybe shouldn't be the biggest shock in the world because the talent gap between the two schools isn't massive it's still a team that Tulane or that Kansas State should be beating but there's so many games in the Big 12 that are going to be evenly matched between schools that are all very closely matched and very closely considered by pundits and people like us to be the same I mean outside of Oklahoma Oklahoma State has anyone in the Big 12 Texas maybe really impressed you no i mean oklahoma state hasn't even really impressed me i mean they the defense i think um there's some there's some concern there for them i guess though that that might be the problem obviously kansas has been impressive i mean they're three and oh they already hit their season over is that if you look at it and you you wonder where you may have been able to to kind of get an edge on some teams it's the fact that going into saturday you thought okay k-state has the defense and the offense is good enough. Like they're in a, a, a good enough spot to where that's how they can get some teams. The concern now becomes, I mean, Oklahoma state's defense certainly appears to be susceptible, but is K state's offense going to be good enough to do that? Because it is going to become easier for these teams to stop Deuce Vaughn. If you're not even concerned at all Correct. about the passing game. And we, we've seen that in games when, when Will Howard has been the quarterback at K state and, and certainly there's some development that has gone on there with Will Howard, and we don't know what he looks like now, but he got thrown in the, into the fire as a true freshman, and that's a tough place to succeed uh, in the Big 12 and trying to figure out how that's going to work out. Like They knew that, that there was one guy they had to stop, and that was the same way uh, Tulane was yesterday. So I, I guess we'll see where it goes, but I think it's good to remind people that even with all the stuff that, that's going on, there's no reason to think that the sky is falling. Uh, for the season for K-State. I mean, it's three games, and ultimately, um, unless you're going to want a spot in the college football playoff, 
the non-conference really doesn't matter for the, the standards of your season because the, the thought was K-State had a team that was going to be good enough to at least compete and over the course of the Big 12 season have a chance to be in Arlington at the start of December. All of that is still in front of you, and I still think that it can be possible. They just really do have to find a way to kind of unlock uh, some of the problems that they've had. So we'll, we'll see how it looks and, and what Saturday and Norman brings but it's certainly not the easiest of situations, I guess you would think to yourself, to, to be able to unlock everything. No, and I don't want to make it sound like the loss to Tulane in our perspective isn't a bad loss. It's a bad loss. You lost to a group of five opponent. That's not something that you should be doing when you're playing in the Big 12, the SEC, the Big 10, the ACC, the Pac-12. You're not supposed to be losing to schools in the group of five. But if there's anything we've learned through the first three weeks of this college football season, it's that it might be pretty wonky, outside of the top two, three teams in the entire country being Alabama, you know, Georgia has looked incredible and Ohio state. I mean, outside of those three teams, everything's kind of been a mess at this point. Um, so just get your business figured out this week before going down to Oklahoma. As long as you don't get blown out, if you look like you belong on the field there, you're going to feel like you, if you have an opportunity to win the game in the fourth quarter, close game entering the fourth quarter, I think you're going to feel pretty similar to where you were entering the season, entering Big 12 play. It's about being able to beat the teams that you should be and then competing with the teams that are probably a little bit better than you, more talented than you, like Oklahoma is. Do you have a, a target number in mind for the offense, uh, I guess point total-wise and maybe passing that, that you would like to see against Oklahoma to where you would feel comfortable or, or like things are headed in the right direction? Well... Um, Oklahoma, I believe opened as a 13 point favorite. So if you can cover, that's obviously what you want to do. The over under for the game is 55 and a half. Yeah. So I don't score. I'm bad at math, Mason. How many, how many points does that say that Oklahoma is going to win by uh, 13 and maybe, they expect so the score to be what 50, you said 55 and a half. Yeah. So they expect the score to be what, um, well, like, okay. So let's just. This is not trying to do podcast. some math here. Um, you're looking at like pro what that would be like 34 to 21 would be basically what it's saying. 35 to 21, 34, uh, to yeah, 34, yeah, 34, 34, 21 would be 50, would be 55. So, yeah, so I don't so know. If you, I mean, lose, if you lose 34 21, are you obviously you don't know how it happens, but if you lose 34 21 and you're entering the fourth quarter and it's close. Yeah, I, I think if you enter the fourth quarter, could, it's twenty four seventeen. There's a way that you could come out of that feeling okay. I guess the frustrating part would be there is that again, like if looking at it from K State's point of view, you, you might feel like that number, like defensively, is is higher than what it should be right now. Like the defense, I think if they can get some help from the offense and they move it just a little bit and give give them some breathers, because I think that's the other thing we saw yesterday too was. The, the defense, the when they were able to kind of get their breath and they had some time after K-State had that touchdown drive and it was kind of long and sustained, they were able to get out there and they play with a little bit more heat again. Too many times that they were were having to get just right back out there early on. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's a, a realm where they can be competitive. And I think the Oklahoma game is going to go a better way to showing us what this team is this season than what the Tulane game was. Because I agree with that. There, there's also some weirdness in it too where, I mean, like, let's just say it the way it was. It sucks that they lost Deuce Vaughn for an entire quarter. I mean, the third quarter, he spent the locker room with cramps. He even, you know, was dealing with a little bit of a banged up ankle that happened in the second quarter. So there was a lot that went into it. And yesterday it was just kind of a weird and, and wonky day for him. And you hope that Adrian Martinez learns from that. Because, again, this goes back to my, my point earlier about why, why lose not trying to make a play happen, even if you don't think you can then go out there and trying to make a play that you don't think can happen. Like for Adrian Martinez, he has now seen they lose 17 to 10 to a group of five school. If I don't take chances downfield, if I don't feel comfortable letting it fly the same type of thing for Colin Klein. So you might as well moving forward, do the best that you can. And if the outcome is still a loss, at least you gave yourself a chance in that loss. And that's the thing that I, I hope that they, they take away from this and learn. And, and I wrote about it this morning, but I really just think at the end of the day, it comes down to Adrian Martinez and Colin Klein both have to find faith and trust in themselves and each other moving forward. And once they do that, I really do think that K-State is going to be in a position 
where they can compete with anybody in this conference. But if they roll out the team that was there yesterday, they're going to have a really tricky time beating a lot of teams in the conference because that immediately sinks them down to the level of it's going to be K-State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and KU. Those are the four schools at the bottom Then we can pretty much easily kind of pick out of that that fight. TCU as well. So, I mean, you've got five schools right there, and you're looking at four wins. So, I mean, that if you even won all those, you're six and six basically in a worst-case scenario. That would be really scary for K-State. So, we'll see how it plays out and where it goes. But I think that we're going to learn a lot from the Oklahoma game this weekend. And I, they don't have to win to, to make me feel better about where things are going for them. But you do have to go out and show a couple of different things. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't have anything much more to add. All right. Well, uh, that's also a good kind of segue to get into the rest of the Big 12 and what happened over the weekend. We can start with the, I guess, significant news. The Kansas Jayhawks are 3-0. and They won 48-30 to yesterday over Houston. Uh, pretty miraculous the way that that worked out for them. And I say that like I'm being dead serious, but again, KU gets down a decent margin in the game. They're down 14 nothing uh, in the first two defensive possessions. KU went three and out, gave up a touchdown, another three and out, gave up another touchdown. And at that point, everybody watching and Houston is probably thinking, oh, same old Kansas, here we go, we got this thing. The Jayhawks then from that point forward outscored Houston 48-16 to uh, and did it amongst the weather delay that took place as well. It was a dominant performance for KU. Jalen Daniels looked electric yesterday, threw for three touchdowns, was moving around doing a lot of good things. Uh, Daniels also ran for over 120 yards and two touchdowns. So the KU offense, there's no doubt that they are that they are the real deal this year, or at least going to be competitive with more teams than what they have been in the past. I think the defense is still a little suspect, and I also am still waiting to see uh, what happens when when they get to face you know somebody of some serious level of talent. So I think their Iowa State game uh, the first of October will be telling because they've got Duke this coming weekend. Hey, but, Duke's three and zero. That's a battle between yeah. two three and zero teams. And college game day not going to Lawrence next. Where weekend, are they going? As they speculate they are going to Knoxville for Tennessee and Florida. Florida, who about lost to South Florida at home. They yesterday. should be going to. They should be going to Durham. That'd be fun. Come well, there are, no, it's in Lawrence. It's in. Oh, Lawrence. come on, go yeah. to Lawrence, have some fun, go to a college game day for two basketball Look, schools. I will. Uh, I will take my bias out of this as a K State grad and somebody that that grew up uh, not having a single inkling of wanting to uh, see anything good happen to the University of Kansas. For the way college football is going right now, it would have been a fun thing. And I'm, I'm not like me personally, I would not have thought it was fun. Um, I think on the K State side of things, you're glad they're not going to Lawrence for college game day. <laughs> but as a whole, I can admit and say that would have been a fun, and that's the thing ESPN should have done was go to Lawrence for has, college game day. Has game day been to Lawrence? No, it's one of eight Power Five schools that they have not done college game day. Do you game know day those at. eight Power Five schools off the top of your head? No, I, I don't have a clue. I would imagine Indiana's one of them. They seem like one that probably yeah, hasn't I can't had them there. They've been to one, unless um, I don't think see. they've been to Illinois. I only know that because I was there. Yeah, yeah, you would probably know that then if they had been there or not. Have they been but to I Duke? I'll have to do some some digging. Yeah, this um, might be a I good. Don't know. This it be... seems seems like they maybe would have been to Duke, like uh, 2013 like, when they won the Coastal. Cutcliffe, Cut you know, was like having um, so some success. So I'll I'll do some digging there. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, this all, might be a fun trivia question at the end of the show. If you can, if you can figure out what eight schools are, what the eight schools are, we can we can quiz me on that. Yeah, I'll I'll get um, this thing figured out. I would like to touch here real quick on Kansas. Is this year already a success? If they go yes. three and nine and lose every game the rest of the season, is this year a success for them? Well, I, I mean, so they already actually, hit their season win total. They already surpassed their over under. But is it a success if they go three and nine and lose every game the rest of the way? Well, okay. So actually, I would I would say this. Um, I think now that they're three and zero, oh, they have to win at least one or two more games because if if they were to go nine straight losses, then that to me I would not feel fulfilled as a Kansas fan. Like you would go, I mean, September seventeenth to the end of the season without a win you'd feel like a failure. You would feel like right? you're back being Kansas of old. And the numbers would look that way. So 
I think that they have to find another way to win. I, I think uh, I've talked about this before. I think you have to get TCU when they come to Lawrence. I think that's a gettable game. And then maybe you try to win one on the road at like Texas Tech or something. And I've already circled it. I think KU Oklahoma State, November 5th, I think the Jayhawks might win that game because Oklahoma State feels like the team that could kind of sleepwalk into it. They think, ah, it's just Kansas, whatever. And then they wake up and go, oh, crap. They do have the talent. If we don't take them seriously, they can keep up with us. And with how that Oklahoma State defense has looked at times this year, I would not be shocked if we go to the middle of the fourth quarter and KU's in like a 24-24 game with Oklahoma State. So I think that the success for KU at this point would probably be if you look at everything and they get at least two more wins. But at this point, like, if you're a Kansas fan, you can seriously talk yourself into saying this team is going to a bowl game this year because not only can you not only can you talk yourself into them going to a bowl game, they play Duke this week. I mean, are, that's four and zero potentially. Are they favored this week against Duke? I need. I, that's what I was just pointing out my phone to look at. Uh, they play at Duke this yeah, week, KU Iowa a, State, and TCU. There's a very real possibility, and all three of those games are in Lawrence. That Kansas starts six and zero. Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves there. I don't, I don't think that's getting too far ahead of ourselves. I don't know. That's uh, Iowa State being the most tricky game there. I don't know about that one. We'll have to we'll have to see. I guess there's a very real possibility that that happens. Hmm. I'm not saying it's going to because I think you end up having a letdown at some point. And those are all three tossed up games. I would say that you could see going any any direction. All right, KU is an eight point favorite against Duke. There you go. I would like to know the last time KU was more than a three and a half point favorite in a game because I can't well, imagine against a power five often. opponent because weren't they a big favorite against? Uh, well, yeah, 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 against like a, a I guess big, you know, a, against a power a five, five opponent, opponent yeah. five, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess we'll see where where things end up there, but I think it's realistic right now because you say you beat Duke, you just need to find two more wins. You're going to have a home game with TCU that at this stage you think you should win. And then uh, even the home game with Iowa State. I will like, say the back half of their schedule is brutal. It's tough. I mean, I mean Oklahoma, go, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Yeah. Like, that's brutal. Then you get and a then, little bit of an easier one, but you still have to go out to Lubbock. And then, you and come, then Texas. And, which uh, they did beat last year. Like, I will tell you this. They're not going to beat K-State in Manhattan this year. Like, I, I think next year, if things stay on the same level of tra- trajectory, there is probably a little bit more intrigue to it. But um, I would not say at this point, that uh, KU beats K-State this season. But I, I really do think like their goal now should be probably to be bowl eligible. But we'll get ready to see uh, how that ends up working out. Other games in the Big 12 yesterday, uh, as I, I look around, Oklahoma thrashes Nebraska. So that's good on you and I. We both had Oklahoma in our picks this week. Gabe took the train of thought that a lot of people had all over the country that's that true. Nebraska is going to get that bump from firing their coach and everybody's going to be ready to play whatever uh, Nebraska was the opposite of ready to play. They got just bombed by 35. So it was so ugly that Gus Johnson left the booth before halftime and never came back yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, no, I didn't see this. Who's a play-by-play person for the second half? Uh, well, Joel Klatt and Brady Quinn just tag teamed it up there. A couple of analysts in the, what booth. was Gus Johnson doing? So that he was sick. I, I don't know what the Ooh, deal was. It's too bad. So, but like, are you a big Gus Johnson guy? Yeah, I'm a Gus Johnson guy. I am not a Gus Johnson mm. person. I realize I'm in a huge minority on that, but yeah. I am just not a huge Gus Johnson person. Yeah, I'm a Gus Johnson guy. There's no doubt about that. Is um, that booth, is the Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt booth better in your opinion than the Chris Fowler? Kirk oh, Kirk yeah. Booth? Oh, oh, yeah. Wow, that's a... Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I just say that I... I don't know necessarily if I if I truly dislike Chris Fowler or if I just hate that he took Brent Musburger's job. So um, yeah, I am a we're looking live. I am an anti. Oh, I'm not anti them, but like they're below uh, for sure in my books with how things go. Now, the one guy that you could really get me started on on how much I, I don't enjoy listening uh, that would be uh, Joe Tessitore. Any game Joe Tessitore is on, there is I a like 500% chance that I am not going to watch that game. Tess is like the ESPN version of Gus Johnson, but I like him a little bit more than Gus Johnson, I think. Except it's more forced and he's not as good. Like there's a lot of that there. Oh, and by the way, like he hasn't called iconic K-State games before. So that, that also docks Joe Tessitore. Gus just, you know, 
He's a part of K-State lore. Uh, go look up 2010 K-State Xavier NCAA tournament highlights. Listen to Gus during that or the 2012 K-State Oklahoma football game. Like, that's where you, you get uh, a lot of the, the K-State love for Gus. Yeah, I, I mean, I know I'm in a minority here with not liking Gus Johnson. I, I won't argue that. Uh, let's see. Other ones yesterday. This is uh, another pat on the back for myself. Oklahoma State beats Arkansas Pine Bluff 63-7. to We're not talking about this uh, game. I took the Cowboys minus 54.5 in the picks. Uh, you and Gabe both were too, too concerned about that big number. Didn't think it was possible. I said, no, no, no. I, I'm going with the Cowboys. They did just that. Uh, Spencer Sanders, 13-16, 242 yards, four touchdowns. It's a crappy opponent, but he's been really impressive to start this season, and that's a really good sign for Oklahoma State. Yeah, Spencer Sanders was going to need to be better for them this year than he was in the past, and he's been that through the first couple weeks of the season. Good start for Oklahoma State. Baylor, they dominate Texas State 42-7. to Nothing really out of the ordinary there, other than to take note, another great running back has seemingly emerged in the Big 12. Richard Reese, 156 yards and three touchdowns yesterday on the ground. Texas was in a little bit of a fight early with UTSA, but they ultimately pull away and win 41-20. to Bijan Robinson, he he ran for 180 yards and three touchdowns, and felt like West, that was gonna. It felt like that was yeah. gonna need to happen for Texas to win that game. And uh, the, let's see, sirens going off in the background. I guess Alec is living in the hood in Manhattan. Where I am not. Manhattan. I'm on Fourth Street. <laughs> Come say uh, hi if you want a new friend. I'm still looking for friends in my new town. West Virginia, they they bounced Towson 65 to seven, and that was another big spread that I, I took the Mountaineers with. And then Iowa State, they beat Ohio. I so wanted Ohio to hang around, but uh, my head won out, and I took Iowa State in the game. Made sense. Hunter Deckers with a good day. Xavier Hutchinson continues to do great things this season. Caught another touchdown, so he's had a touchdown grab in all three games this year so far for the Cyclones. Uh, So everybody in the Big 12 yesterday had a good day, except for K-State and then Texas Tech, who went on the road, and they lose 27-14 to NC State. That's a good NC State team, too. Devin Leary's a good quarterback. I know a lot of people got a little concerned about NC State after their scare against East Carolina in week one. NC State's going to be right in the thick of it in the ACC this year. Yeah, no, I I thought that was a decent fight by Texas Tech yesterday. Now, they they trailed by a decent number um, at at one point, though. Like, they were down 27-7, to but they they tried to to hang around and, I I guess, you know, fought as well as they could on the road, which I think shows that they're going to be a little bit scrappy uh, coming up. So we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, big 12 games this coming week, West Virginia at Virginia tech, six 30 on Thursday. And then Saturday Duke KU 11 AM kickoff on FS one Baylor, Iowa state go at 11 on ESPN two TCU at SMU. They're going to, uh, get going for the iron the skillet. Sunny, at 11 the sunny Dykes bowl. Yeah. We'll see how that, uh, goes at 11 a.m. ESPNU and then Texas, Texas Tech at 2.30 in Lubbock. The last time these teams played in Lubbock, it was like a a wild game. They played a pretty crazy one last year, too. Texas put up a ton of points. Uh, Last year's final score was 70-35 to between Texas and Texas Tech. When they played in Lubbock in 2020, Texas won 63 to 56 in overtime. I love the Big 12. <laughs> so I love the Big 12. Listen, listen to this stretch that Texas played in 2020. So they beat UTEP to start the season 59 to 3. They then beat Tech 63 to 56 in overtime. Lose by two, 33-31 to TCU. The following week, they play a four-overtime loss to Oklahoma, 53 to 45. They beat Baylor. And then 41 to 34 in overtime against Oklahoma State. And then they finished off their regular season in Manhattan and they beat K State 69 to 31. So that Texas team put up a lot of points that season. And they also put up 55 and beat Colorado in the Alamo Bowl. And that was the end of it for Tom Herman. Uh yes. Yeah, he was he was on the outs after that. So we'll see how it goes. K State, Oklahoma, they get the seven o'clock treatment on Fox. Certainly doesn't have the same amount of buzz and energy and excitement to it now that K-State's 2-1 and one as opposed to 3-0. and oh. But I think that once you get to that game on Saturday, the energy and, and excitement will be back into it, and people will be ready to kind of put their faith and their trust back into K-State to, to put up a fight and have a good showing. Yeah, I just want an entertaining game. I mean, just be close. I like close football games, like watching close football games, and 
we're going to be in a car all day Saturday driving yeah. down to Norman, Oklahoma. So considering we're going to get to watch about one college football game that entire day, I'd like it to be an entertaining one, Mason. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's actually not that bad of a drive, uh, from, from where I'm at. So I have to worry, worry too much about that. All All right, right. Mason, it it is going to be our first of what I expect to be many long car rides. What is going to be on the radio? Uh, you like podcasts? I'm a, I'm a big podcast person. Yeah. I, I look, I'm, I'm not really good with music or anything like that. What kind of music do you listen to? Uh, I very r- rarely listen to music. Oh, if okay. I'm in the car, I'm I am typically firing up a podcast. Or I'm the same way. I mean, I worked for I've worked for radio stations the last five years of my life, so I always had those radio stations on. And they were both talk stations, so All right. I didn't really have much going on there. I guess if like I'm a uh, I, I'm more of like a, a classics type of guy when it does come to music, though. So like like 80s or 90s or or probably the what I listen to the most, like if I'm listening to music on the radio. Like I got no shot at current music. I can get on with some 80s for a little bit. Uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna run out of podcasts. I feel like driving across Big Twelve country. Typically, what I do when I have a a, a big long trip coming up, I just save up for uh, for like that week, so I don't listen uh, on my regular basis that I do. Okay, I I try and do the same thing actually. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm excited. I'm I am excited though for all these car trips. I think I'm still fun. doing my searching. There's a way that we could do this to find like locations uh, for college game day and everything, but I, it would take a little bit longer, and I don't know that anybody uh, really cares about that one. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where this ends up going. I'm. I, I saw, somebody had tweeted where they said that it was eight schools that had never eight Power Five schools had never been on game day. And now I'm trying to find where that tweet might be, um, but it's have I'm having a heck of a time trying to do it. So I can tell you this much though, um, I know that in the past, like this would have been something that I, I would have been on board for anywhere else. I actually thought it was stupid they went to Appalachian State this weekend. Like it, there, other than the fact that App State had beaten Texas A&M, what was the point of going there f- for them playing Troy? I don't really know. I mean, they lucked into it. it was a good game, but it's not like they were even actually calling the game or anything. So okay. I don't know. What I mean. have a list okay. of the eight schools. Do you, you found want? It? I do. Um, it's actually tweeted by the Bear Chris Felica, who was on oh, the show. Oh, of course. Look, speaking of other sports personalities that I'm not the biggest fan of. Okay, so I will let you okay. guess them if you would like. All right. Okay. Do you want do you want a breakdown of what conference they play in first? Uh, yeah, that would probably help. Okay, you have let's see, one in the Pac-12. Okay, do you, do you want to do it that way? Do you just want to guess based off conference? So I'll give you the conferences, and then yeah. okay. So what Pac-12 school do you think they didn't go to or have not been to? Uh, I'm going to say Utah. No, they have been to Utah. I don't know when, but they have been to okay. Utah. All right. Then uh, well, we'll give you two. Would you want to do three guesses for each each conference? Do do two guesses, but now give me like a hint, like a, a better hint here. Okay. I don't want you to like give okay. it away clean. Um, there are multiple other Pac-12 schools that play in this state. Keyword there being multiple. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that, then that limits it to what? It's either. Oh, well, I wonder then if they've. This tweet, by the way, from him is from August 16th of 2022, so it should be up That's to date. Update, yeah. Uh, I mean, would it be Washington State then? No, they have been to Washington State. The one big, to- the one Pac-12 school they have not been to is Cal. Okay, that was going to be my other guess. And Washington State's a dumb one because they've definitely been there before because uh, they have the stupid flag that they always fly. Uh, I'm looking at it now. Utah has actually hosted it four times. I pulled up. The- they've been good. The list to look I on Wikipedia at least tracks how many times people have hosted, so I can look up uh, what they've done. But I, I doesn't have like a list of these have and haven't. So all right, so I I I sucked on the Pac-12. Moving on, who else we got? We'll move to the ACC. There is one, two, three ACCs. Wait, I'm bad at counting. We have one, two. Yeah, three ACC schools. Okay. Um, I'm going to say they've never been to Syracuse. You are correct. You are one for one here. Okay. 
Um, I'm going to also assume that they have never been to Chapel Hill. No, they've been to North Carolina. <sighs> okay. That sucks. Um, and then I guess my other guess that I would throw out there. Think like, would... think like very smart people schools in the ACC for, for the last two. Um, well, Duke. Yep. You got one more. Would be, be one of them. And then I don't know. Have they, I, Boston college. Ooh, good guess. Um, no, the other okay. one is Virginia. Oh, I, is Virginia supposed to be a smart school? Virginia is a very good school. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Virginia well, is a very good never, school. never would have guessed that. I only, the Boston college, I wasn't convinced on because I figured maybe they were there like when Matt Ryan was playing or something. So, yeah. I okay. Know. I feel, I feel all right about what I did there, but not great. All right, we'll go to the Big 12 next. What one Big 12 school have they not okay, been to? Well, we know it's KU. Correct. All right, we're going to move to the Big 10. There are three Big 10 schools. We said one of them that they haven't been to earlier. Uh, oh, so they've been to they've been to one then that we had mentioned cuz you said you weren't sure that they'd been to Illinois. They have not been to Illinois. Illinois okay. is one of the three Big 10 schools they have not been to. All so right. there's two more Big 10 schools. So was but- my was my Indiana guess wrong? They have been to Indiana. I have no idea when, but they have uh, definitely been clowns. in Indiana. Uh, okay, then thinking where else they've been, I would say Northwestern, but they think, love Northwestern for some reason. Eastern, so. think Eastern oh, Seaboard. Okay. So Rutgers, correct. Which is kind of weird because it's the birthplace of college football. Like you couldn't yeah. have found some time to go there at some point. And then who else would maybe make this list of teams that they uh, have not ever seen in the in the Big Ten? Um, and see the other ones that feel like they've all been to, which is kind of odd. Um, Maryland. I'll say Maryland's yes, Maryland. You okay. nailed the big 10 schools. Yeah. That, I guess that one makes a little bit of sense and, and lines up a little bit more. So, all right, well uh, let's, let's then move on to it. Probably everybody in the sec has gotten to host. Yes. Every sec school appears to be on this list. Seriously. Yeah. That's, that's a crock of, baloney that's terrible it just means more there <sighs> stupid okay <laughs> all right well that's that was that was kind of fun, i don't really find it that shocking that they've been to every sec school i, I guess maybe I, vanderbilt but yeah when would when would you have decided now's the right time to go to vanderbilt my for a guess football game? my guess would be james franklin era yeah, when they the won nine ones, games in back-to-back years the other ones i can look at and say i know that they definitely would have had times to go there although I'm trying to think what game they would have gone to. Uh, they may not have gone before. to a Mizzou game when Mizzou was in the SEC, but they've probably been to Mizzou, I think like 2007 time when they were obviously pretty good under Gary Pinkle. Um, I'm I'm looking here to uh, try and track. Missouri hosted one time October 23rd, 2010 is when they uh, went to Missouri. So let's see here. Um, that would be... Yeah, they played number three Oklahoma at number 18 Missouri. Yeah, I was going to guess. It's got to be some sort of Mizzou-Oklahoma game from yeah. like 2007 to 2010. So let's see. Uh, do you, oh, here's a here's a good little uh, question for you. Do you know how many times uh, K-State has been featured on college game day, either as the home team or the away uh, team? This is more of just kind of like your, your – Oh, either, either, either time? Yeah, um, just whenever they've been one of the two featured teams. Does, do bowl games count here? Uh – I'm just going based off of however they keep records here. So I uh, you okay. just throw out a number and guess it. Game day started 93. I'll say they've been pretty good here for a long time. Seven. Close. Uh, K-State's been on college game day six times. Oh, the I first, was going to say six. The first was 1998. Uh, that is a very significant one in K-State history. They were in Manhattan. It was uh, number two K-State against number 11 Nebraska. K-State on their way to trying to compete for a national championship. There's also a good time to, to tell people, I screwed up. I was an idiot, and I misspoke, and I, I knew that it was wrong, <laughs> but I said it in the wrong way. I want to keep throwing it out there because I'm not stupid. I said that, that Michael Bishop was the other Big 12 winning quarterback. I obviously know that is wrong. He did not win it. He very famously did not win it. Sorry, olds. But – L. Roberson is the other quarterback that won the Big 12. Michael Bishop should have. He's the other legendary number seven in K-State football. Should have been a national champion, uh, whatever. So you had K-State, Nebraska in 98. And then in 2000, uh, 
Oklahoma was the number eight team in the country. They came to Manhattan against number two K-State. And then Oklahoma won that game 41 to 31. And then uh, they were at the Big 12 championship in 2000 when K-State lost to Oklahoma again by a field goal. And then the year following, K-State, Oklahoma in Norman, they were there in 2001. 2003, K-State at Texas in Austin. Uh, 2014 is the last appearance for K-State on college game day. That's a sneaky one. So they were in Waco for that game. And it's weird. So that's the year that Baylor and TCU shared the Big 12. Uh, They both felt like they got got out of the playoff. If K-State had won that game in Waco that night, K-State would have tied for a share of the Big 12 title. And they still would have gotten left out of the playoff, I assume, too, because oh yeah, they would have. Yeah, they they the, weren't they the weren't two quite other ready the yet. two other Big Twelve teams got left out of the playoff that night or that well, year. Well, they were uh, they had some other things that uh, K State had lost to Auburn at home uh, that okay. season. That's a big deal. But yeah, K State went seven and two uh, in uh, in the in the Big Twelve that season, and they needed to beat Baylor, and they would have been co champs with TCU, who got screwed. But who was the quarterback of those TCU teams? Boykin, uh, Trevon Boykin. Yeah, um, he was a dog, man. He was so good. See, uh, Casey Paul Hall would have been there too at the same time. Andy Dalton a few years before. Andy Dalton was Dalton so was good just, at so good at TCU. Dalton was never a uh, a Big Twelve legend. He was no, he was yeah. like Mountain CUSA, West, Mountain West. But yeah, yeah, that was uh, a good time. Trevon Boykin, you, you'll have to find the the picture of him in a, a game. I think they were at Texas Tech. He's wearing a K-State basketball shooting sleeve on his arm. So it's like they got the purples mixed up and the wrong shipment went to Fort Worth and Trevon Boykin put it on. But clear as day, it has the markings of the K-State basketball jersey and says Wabash on there. So interesting. Just All right. a, little, uh, a little nugget there with everything else. But uh, we, we've gone on for a, a while today. We'll have more in the middle of the week and also very, very soon – uh, we'll have Wildcat Weekly this this coming week up with Deuce Vaughn as we talk to him coming off a loss for the first time, what it means and kind of how the team is responding and what he thinks of everything moving forward. So we will uh, continue on with everything. A lot of good coverage over on EMA Online after yesterday with the game. Plenty up today as well, whether that's reaction and thoughts from the game over the weekend or also uh, plenty of recruiting news and tidbits uh, that have gone on over the weekend. Uh, a decent list of visitors in town, including a four-star defensive back, Braylon Conley, who's kind of updated us on what his visit was like and uh, what he experienced. A lot of defensive guys were in town yesterday, and so even though the offense didn't show up, they were all very excited about how things looked. And Gabe talked to Cameron Salas, uh, who was in town over the weekend, the committed defensive back, and, I mean, he he had quote after quote that was like, this defense has me excited to be in Manhattan, so – very fun to see, and uh, a lot of good things for K-State, even despite the loss to Tulane. So we'll look forward to how things progress uh, throughout the week, and we'll have uh, on Tuesday a chance to listen to the coaches as well. Uh, any final thoughts before we, we get out of here and go back to the NFL Sunday, Alec? Yeah, I don't have any major thoughts. I feel like we did a good job covering what was a, obviously a pretty disappointing loss if you're a Kansas State fan. Uh, looking forward to getting to our first road game on the beat together down in Norman this weekend and Saturday, and we'll uh, do a good job of previewing the week with what is a pretty big game for Kansas State on Saturday in Norman. Yep, got to at least, even if you're not you know, going to come through and uh, I guess do anything uh, in the shape of winning, at least be competitive and at least uh, give some some excitement and energy to everybody moving forward. So we'll see what goes on there, and uh, that'll do it for us today here on EMA Online and the Post Game Podcast, and we'll talk to you later in the week.